Good morning, ladies. We're going to get started because there's people joining us online that are expecting us to be ready to go at 10. And that's new for us, and it's exciting too. So um, thank you for everybody who's here and everybody who's joining us online. And then two, we're going to have recorded sessions. So they're going to be recording Marsha and I, and then um, it'll be on the website. So if you ever miss, can't you know, be there, I want you to know it's going to be on the website, which is exciting and new for us. <laughs> but... Um, during the circumstances needed, and maybe it's a long-term thing. Maybe it's going to reach people that can't come at this time. So we're excited for that. Let's start with a word of prayer. Lord, we're excited and ready to get into your word and study, and so thankful to be back again today, um, back doing Bible study here in the fall. And I pray, uh, Lord, that you would just guide our time, that you would you would bless us, the Holy Spirit would wrap around us and just let us dig into your word, help us understand, give us truth. Um, there's people that are not here that um, would like to be here, and I pray for them. I'm especially thinking about Jan Bloomquist. I pray for healing for her and doctor's wisdom. Um, just guide her in what's ahead and um, be with the doctors that work on her, Lord. I'm also thinking about Jennifer Boyd, Courtney and Mary's daughter, um, just some setbacks, and I just pray, Lord, that um, you would give them peace, you would give, again, the doctors wisdom, and help them to navigate these hard times right now, Lord, and um, thank you again for your mercy, and thank you for today and letting us all be together. In Jesus' name, amen. So welcome back. This is really exciting. I'm really happy to see everybody. Just, ooh, I want to hug you guys. And, um, we didn't get to do treats, which is kind of sad, but maybe it's okay. Um, at least we get to be together, right? We can give up some treats. Um, we have chosen the Beatitudes, and we're using John Stott to guide us through. Um, my recommendation with this book is that you do it before the study, because then you kind of can understand where we're coming from, you'll have a little bit more knowledge, and it'll deepen your 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 understanding of the Beatitudes. Mm -hmm. um, Marcia is not going to go one by one and go through these <laughs> questions, but as she talks, the questions will be answered. Um, so it is important, you know, to do it at home, to think about it, and maybe after the study, whatever how it works for you. If you like to do it before, if you like to meditate and do it after whatever you want, but that's how we're going to be doing it. And then also, um, for everyone who's online, I sent this out via email. This isn't um, a hard and fast. You don't have to have this, and don't panic if you don't. Um, it's just a guideline. So when Marsh is talking, you can you know take notes, and um, when I'm talking, you can take notes too if you want. <laughs> um, how this is going to work is Marsha is going to do most of the biblical teaching, and um, she studied well for that. I've studied well for it because I'm going to go into the application part, kind of how we did Abraham for people who were here before. So mm -hmm. how do the Beatitudes fit into our life? That's what I'm going into. And um, it's just kind of where we're good at, mm -hmm. right? Right. So um, how is this relatable today? How are the Beatitudes relatable? Well, Things are kind of a mess right now, um, obviously, you know that. Um, the world is tumultuous, and a lot of things are hard to understand, and this is the heart of truth, the Beatitudes. I was misguided by the Beatitudes. I think um, I thought of them as a list of personality traits. Like, wow, if you were meek, you were blessed. Good job. If you were a person who mourned, <laughs> great, you're blessed. Um, but it was like your natural person having these attributes, and then therefore you were blessed. And, and that's wrong. That's not how um, I've come to understand them now. And um, it's what it really is, is the picture of salvation. I feel now after studying them and understanding them, I could camp out on them for the rest of my spiritual journey. They're really important, and combined with the Sermon on the Mount, and I never thought of them that way. I really honestly didn't. I'm just being transparent here. Um, but what they are is a, um, characteristics of people who follow Christ. Mm -hmm. So if you are a person who likes to write a list and see how you're doing, um, <laughs> the Beatitudes would be a good one to write and see how you're doing. Um, it's really what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, and Right now, to be a citizen of the United States, it feels a little shaky. Um, we're not agreeing with everything that's going on politically and otherwise. And, 
and to be able to hold on to the truth of what it is to be a kingdom or a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's where we're going to camp out for the next eight weeks. And Marsh and I are so passionate about it. We're thinking we might go Sermon on the Mount after, like the, to continue <laughs> might on just because continue. <laughs> because you could. A lot of things draw into. Mm-hmm. After you study these really, you know, deeply and you understand what the Beatitudes are, almost everything Jesus says goes right back to them. It's gospel truth. So, um, but anyway, let, and today is enough for today, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're, we asked you at the top of your outline, and if you don't have this outline at home, here's the question. In what ways has COVID affected your spiritual journey? I know everyone's been affected in some way, right? So I want you to take a couple minutes and think about how has COVID affected your spiritual journey? And then we're going to ask people to, to maybe say a couple things about it. And you can speak right from where you are. It'll be just fine um, Just speak up so that Others can hear you a little bit, okay? Anybody? How has COVID affected your journey with Christ? Johnny. Well, with the way things go now, and with having seven grandkids and only being able to see two of them for the most part, I have more time doing that. Okay, so she's... Right. Around your schedule. No, I think that's okay. Uh, what, what has been said here for people who can't hear is that um, it's led to more downtime. And, and with that time, able to be in the word more, right. which has turned out to be a blessing. Anybody, I mean, people are shaking their heads here. I think you understand. Maybe <laughs> others have been blessed by some of the downtime that's happened. And go ahead. Right. She says, put things into perspective. You know, what's really important? It's a more like prayer group. I mean, I think about, you know, I don't think I've necessarily been praying for this a lot of people. I mean, they're struggling, for example, mm-hmm. and with policemen and that kind of thing. So that part has been just. So she's saying it's broadened her. Prayer list, um, praying for more people, realizing more more pain. Great. Mm-hmm. I- isolation too has affected people, and and the right. sadness from being alone. Mm-hmm. Um, One of the things I think that um, I wanted to share as far as how COVID-19 has affected me and about how it's affected my spiritual life is that when we stopped Bible study last March, um, I guess we continued up until May with the the, um, Zoom study, but after that I was just uncertain of where we would be going. I didn't feel comfortable with Zoom, of course, maybe because it but also... I love having people in an audience to hear what I'm teaching. It's very hard to to teach to little squares. It's just not the same, (laughs) believe me. Um, And so I wasn't sure what would happen this fall, and Michelle was studying um, Beatitudes and a lot of other things, and I kind of got going on some of the things that she said to me. I started to read the Gospel of Matthew, which I have taught before but haven't studied for years. And all of a sudden, I got to the Sermon on the Mount, and I just kind of camped there. Because it was as though the Lord just hit me with the things that those short statements were saying, and how relevant they are to our lives. They're things that touch every single facet of who we are as believers. And I think that as we look at today's lesson, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see how they affect us in our ordinary lives today, there are short sentences. 
And as Michelle said, a lot of times we bypass them because we think of them as characteristics that we're given those traits of being poor in spirit, for example. Maybe you're a person with a downer personality and, and you think that blessed are you because you go around with a sorrowful face all day. That's not what this is talking about. Um, or that you are mournful. None of these characteristics that we're going to study are from our own, our own human natures. They're things that God has given to us. So I wanted to just have you take a look at this along with us as to how they affect us in our thinking about our world today, because these are the things that are going on in our world. If you think about what hits you when you wake up in the morning, these are the things that oftentimes you turn on the news, you have the pandemic, you have political disruption, you have personal insecurity, the whole world is turned around. But during this time, the scripture still stands firm. And the Bible tells us that the word of the Lord abides forever. It doesn't change. It is there, and it's there for us. And so even though um, we wish we didn't have this, God is going to use it in our lives if we try. Um, I think one of the big things as far as COVID-19 is that we sometimes feel out of control. Have any of you felt out of control lately? Can't control the news. You can't control the pandemic. You can't control the politics. You can't control sometimes your own personal feeling of insecurity. But the um, circumstances in our lives can be uprooted and, and changeable all of the time. These are just the circumstances we have now. Tomorrow, there may be other circumstances. And one of the things that we have to understand is that we are not in control ever of our circumstances. The things that are our circumstances today, down the road a bit, may be totally different. And we'll find a different set of circumstances. And again, we're not in control. But God is. And that's one of the things we have to remember as we go through this. If only we could change it, we can't. But God can change us in the middle of the problem. So we're going to look at the Beatitudes. And I want to start, first of all, by just reading them with you. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Matthew chapter 5? Starting in verse 3, and I want you to remember that these are the words of Jesus. Um, <clears throat> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed of those are those are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, all of these things are designed to help us to be free from the disorder and frustration of circumstances. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. And on his word, which changes not, we can stand also. While all of these things are going on around us, we, we just need to understand that Jesus is here, and he's here for us today. And so we're going to start off, first of all, with just a little bit of an overview of the Sermon on the Mount and of the Beatitudes and what they stand for. Just some things that I want you to think about. And I have them, they'll be on the screen. So first of all, we're gonna start out with this. Every one of them starts out with the word blessed, blessed. They all begin with the words blessed are. And so um, in your, if you have your book, one of the things we read is that blessed or blessed, it used to always be pronounced, but blessed 
by God has a meaning of happy are. In the Greek, blessed means happy. But we're not talking here about the type of happiness that we normally want during our daytime or during our lives. It is not anything natural that we can manufacture. Um, I want to just read here, it says, the word happy, and this is on page 11 of your uh, Bible study handbook, the word happy is seriously misleading if we only render it happy. Happiness is a subjective state, how I feel today. Oh, I'm happy today, the sun is shining. Or tomorrow, it may be raining and I'm not happy. Happiness is a subjective state, whereas Jesus is making an objective statement. Jesus is coming at us from a different angle, and he is declaring not what we might feel like, but what God thinks of us. And what on that account we are called blessed or happy. In other words, what he wants us to see is that it's not our personal feelings that Jesus is concerned with here, but rather our happiness or blessedness depends on our obedience to God and how he works out, for example, poverty of spirit within our lives. And on the basis of how he sees himself working and how we respond to that, we are happy. I want you to think about this for a moment. When you know God is at work at you, happy are you. Blessed are you. When you have poverty of spirit that is outside of the working of God and it's all something that you yourself are feeling very badly about, maybe badly about things that are going on in your life or bereavement or various things, God is saying, I want you instead in your lowest moments to pour yourself out before me, empty yourself even of those personal feelings of unhappiness and allow me to be all that you need. Blessed are you if you can empty yourself of your own feelings of unhappiness and allow God to make you happy. Blessed. So they all start with that word. Secondly, this is Jesus' own description of what he wants us to be. All of these things that he gives us are things that he wants of the believer in Christ to be. He has standards for us. Now, these aren't things, again, that we can manufacture on our own or attain on our own, but only through Christ. These standards are high. And finding the poverty of spirit that he wants in our lives requires discipline on our part, looking to him to satisfy what we need. Okay, thirdly, the characteristics of behavior that he describes are not natural. They're, uh, they're spiritual standards. They're of the Spirit of God. So again, we're not talking about your personality. If you have a personality that's by nature bubbly, God still wants to work in that bubbly personality and turn it into his type of bubbliness. If you're sorrowful and a sad person, some people are um, naturally pessimistic. You know anybody whose the glass is almost always empty? God wants to take that pessimism and turn it into his joy. So these are not natural um, characteristics within us. They're from the Holy Spirit himself as he works them out. Now, these are characteristics that should be a part of the life of every believer, not just a few. And again, we can't pick and choose and say, I'm an optimistic person, she's a pessimistic person, or um, I am a mournful person, she's by nature a happy person. All of these are characteristics that God wants to work within our lives as we grow in him. He's a personality worker, changes us within. And then, this is actually a big one. All of these characters working together, and they should all be within all of our lives, not just a few of them. These become a goal for us. 
they show us that the life of the believer is different from the life of people in the world. And what God wants to do in this, these are for people who are in the kingdom of heaven. He wants us to show to the world a whole different view of what the kingdom of God is like. Now, I want you to think about that in our American culture today. You turn on the news, and you do not see the kingdom of God revealed. You see a kingdom that is overrun by man himself. And so in this group of people, let's say there are a group of Christians who are believing differently than the masses. What God wants us to do is to lead a life that is different from the masses, that shows what the kingdom of God looks like. Now, we maybe haven't done a real good job of that because the kingdom of God is different from the kingdom of the world. And so these beatitudes are designed to help us understand what the kingdom of God looks like. So... One of the things we need to understand is that the kingdom of God is a very present kingdom. It was present when Christ was on earth. We all know that, and we think, well, because he said himself, the kingdom of God is present in me. Jesus said that about himself. But we also learn from scripture that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is present in us at this moment and at the moment that we receive Jesus Christ as Lord. As Jesus is present in us, we reflect the kingdom of God that he reflected. And so within this world, in the kingdom of the world or the those who are citizens of this world ought to be able to see within us a little glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. And then the kingdom of heaven is yet to come. It's also our glorious hope. So it was when Jesus was here on earth. It is within each of us. And it will be for all of us who know Jesus for all of eternity. It's a big lesson already, isn't it? <laughs> You're ready to go home. <laughs> but there's more. <laughs> this, this is a, let's see, I should say is a commercial. But there's more. <laughs> you can ha have all of this for free if you read the Word of God, but there's more. So we're going to look, first of all, at Matthew 5.3, at the first beatitude. So, again, I've talked about how they all begin with blessed. They all concern the kingdom of heaven. And the first beatitude is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, we want to talk about what it means to be poor in spirit. First of all, we need to know it doesn't concern our material wealth or our situation in life. You may be feeling lousy today, but that's not what God is talking about here. Being poor in spirit basically will accentuate the difference between the natural man, the person who does not know God, and the spiritual man. So let's just look at a couple of contrasts here. The natural man, the person who does not know the Lord, lives out of his human spirit. He does not have the Holy Spirit within him. And so his values are those of the world and of his human spirit. In other words, self-reliance, um, self-confidence, self-expression, anything that lifts him up. Success in life, wealth in life, honor in life that lifts up the person is not of the Spirit of God. Doesn't mean that God doesn't want those things for us, but that he wants them to be given to us his way. And the life of the, the man of, um, who does not know the Lord honors the kingdom of the world, not the kingdom of God. So 
We have the natural man contrasted with the spiritual, the person who knows the Lord. Part of our problem is that the contrast isn't very great, unfortunately. And that's our fault. It's our fault for not allowing Christ to do what he wants to do with us. But we have the natural man and the spiritual man. The spiritual man lives out of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, and Christ has made us so that he can live his life through us. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. A lot of times we forget that, and it's I who live, and oh yeah, I think I better pray at the end of the day. So, the spiritual man is marked by an absence of pride and self-reliance. Now, this is what God wants from us, that we don't just rush in where fools dare to tread, okay? But that we allow God to guide us in our lives. Another thing about the spiritual man is that he recognizes his lowly position in the presence of God. The natural man doesn't need God. But as a believer, God calls us to acknowledge our position in him, in humility. Jesus was humble. Now, this doesn't mean that we're to hate ourselves or hate ourselves as God made us. God made us precious in his sight, and he loves us to the extent that he gave his son for us. But at the same time, because he gave his son for us, we need to recognize that we're sinners and that we need a savior. The natural man struggles along in his life to solve his problems. Are the problems solved? No. The believer, the spiritual man, may still have problems and may have the same problems as the natural man. But God calls on us to trust him in those problems, to lead us. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need your tender care. We need him. And the believer acknowledges that need. I can't solve the problems of the world. I wish I could. I could, you know, I can turn off the TV, but when I turn it on tomorrow, the same noise is still there. So what God has to do is a work in my heart where I can see him through all the fog, through all the noise, I can hear him. And so the believer then is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And he stands as a kingdom of heaven in a world that celebrates the kingdom of this world. Antithesis, opposites. The natural man, the spiritual man. These beatitudes are given to you who know the Lord and those who do not know the Lord, that they might be drawn into a close relationship with God. That your poverty of spirit finds a way to change to real joy and happiness and blessedness as God begins a work in your life. Can't do it on your own. Cannot manufacture happiness. So, we're going to take a look at um, what happens when a man comes face to face with God. When we really realize that we need the Lord. Now, um, again, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles. You may have a hard time reading what's up there. But this is from Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. And in a vision, Isaiah, who God calls to be a prophet to Israel... And at the time that he called Isaiah, Israel was not walking with the Lord. God had called them as his children, but they did not follow him. They did not even want him in their lives. He even tells them, stop offering sacrifices to me. I cannot stand the smell of them. Israel had wandered away from God, and God calls them back to himself, and he needs a prophet. And in this passage, he calls Isaiah to go back and to tell the people, return to the Lord who made you. So in Isaiah 6, 1, I'm going to read from, what, from 1 through 8. And it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, 
I saw the Lord. Now imagine this. Picture in your mind, if you can, the vision. It's an overwhelming vision. And I love to read it. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Imagine that. The train of the glory of God, the robe that he was wearing, filled the entire temple. And above him were seraphs, angelic beings that are mentioned here, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces because they could not look upon the glory of God. With two they covered their feet, which were, you know, walking and possibly not even clean. And with two they were flying, and they were calling out to one another. And this is what they called. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Here's Isaiah's response. He sees this vision of God upon a throne. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His response is immediate. Woe is me. I am ruined. King James says, I am undone. I like that better. I am undone. I'm a hot mess. I'm just a mess. I saw God. And the word of God says that no man can look upon God and his holiness and live. And Isaiah is struck by that. I am ruined. For mine eyes have seen the Lord. That's basically what he says. He says, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and mine eyes have seen the, the King, the Lord Almighty. Mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and he said, see, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. God says, go and tell my people. This is a call for Isaiah to go back to the people of God who have left him. Now, we're going to take a look at this and see a little bit more what the response of man is as he faces a holy God. You see, natural man doesn't have any use for God. I am my own God. Basically, I make my own decisions. And I have my own rights, and I'm not going to yield them. Isaiah is, when we read this, he is a believer, he's a follower of God, one of the children of Israel, one of God's own, that God has called and is calling to be his prophet. But his response, even though he is a believer and knows the Lord, is such that he is undone. Woe is me. I am undone. I cannot even look upon the face of God because all of a sudden I recognize my sin. He sees the holiness of God and is struck by it. Now, I want you to think for a moment, why do you think natural man often does not respond to God? Why does he behave the way he does? Why do we behave the way that we do? Because oftentimes we act just like natural man. Why is that? I'm going to tell you. Because we do not have a view of holy God. We do not know him well enough to have that view of a holy and upright God sitting upon his throne in all of the holiness of of heaven and all of the purity that is within him. And we, if we saw him, could not look upon him any more than Isaiah could. The world knows him not, sees him not, because we need to have that same vision that Isaiah had. We need to have a fresh vision of God where we see him and examine our lives. 
And when we say, I, I feel so awful about all this is, that is going on, my spirit is just heavy, that we can know that we have the spirit of God within us to take that which we're going through and to use it for his honor and glory and to use us besides. He calls Isaiah. He cleanses his sin. This is what happens. I want to just finish this off. When we see Isaiah here, bowing before the Lord, this is poverty of spirit pictured for us, right before our eyes. It's an understanding that my condition is hopeless, and I cannot change it. God, I need you. Our sin condemns us. We can't remove it. This is Isaiah. This is what the world needs to see if there's ever going to be a change. So what we have here is that an angel or a seraph comes from that altar with a live coal in his hand or, or on the, in the censer, in the tongs. This pictures for us what happens on the Day of Atonement when the high priest enters in with the blood of the lamb and, and it is sprinkled upon the altar. But when the high priest goes in there at the same time, he takes a censer filled with live coals from the altar, puts cinnamon on that censer and sprinkles it before the Holy of Holies. And as drops of coal hit, hit upon that, smoke rises from the altar because the the holiness of that altar before God was so holy that the high priest wasn't even to look upon it. And so, you see, what we have here is a picture of the very holiness of God behind the veil. And that seraph comes out with a hot coal that has been used in that sacrifice of offering before the Lord. And with it, he touches Isaiah's lips. I am a man of unclean lips, forgiven. I live among a nation of unclean lips, and I'm contaminated. Your sins are forgiven you. And that is what God says to him. Isaiah's sin is forgiven. His guilt is taken away. His sin has been atoned for. It pictures for us all of the beauty and power of the death of Christ for Jesus, of Jesus Christ for us. His sin has been atoned for, and it foreshadows Christ's death, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God who has redeemed us with his own precious blood. And so poverty of spirit is a hopeless condition for us to deal with. But it's not hopeless for God. Poverty of spirit in the natural state, our own sad feelings, we can take to God. Our sinful feelings, before we know him, we can take to God. And he'll handle them for us. He'll forgive our sins and cleanse us. Now, let's just wrap this up real quick. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are the three things that we need to think about. First of all, the blessing. It's God's approval upon us whose lives have come under his authority. Now, this is a choice that we have to make. Do we want to put our lives under the authority of God? It's a choice. Even Isaiah had to choose to put himself under the authority of God, for this is the kingdom of heaven. And God is in authority. Secondly, the poor in spirit is measured against the character of God, the one who sees himself as poor, needy, unable, wretched, chooses to yield himself to God. Oh, wretched man that I am, I thank God that he has died for me. And thirdly, the reward or the blessing of the poor in spirit is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Citizens of the kingdom of God, 
blessed with all the blessings of the kingdom of God. Now, Michelle is going to um, take this a step further and uh, use part of what's in the book regarding the Laodiceans, uh, people in the book of Revelation who have some problems following God. And she's going to just take the, the rest of the time and talk about that. Before I start with the Laodiceans, I want to draw your attention to something. So if you look at Matthew um, chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, which Marcia just spoke about. And it's interesting how that's the first blessed that he gives out. Can you think of why that would be the first blessed he would give out? Why is that a starting point to all he's about to say? Because we're proud. We want to do it on our own. But he's first saying, you need to understand that you need me. It's the first step in our salvation. When we come to Lord, when we came to the Lord as, whenever you came to the Lord, um, the circumstances surrounding it, you know, may have been good, may have not have been good. For me, I was living in fear, fear of dying. I didn't know where I was going, all this and that. And I knew something was wrong inside. I knew that I needed something else. And that's what poor in spirit is, knowing that you need something else, and that is God. So he's saying, blessed are you who realize that you need me. And it's not just salvation. I mean, it is salvation's starting point, but it's also for Christians every day realizing the circumstances that are thrown at us, and especially now in COVID, to say, I need you, Lord. I need you every day. That's what it means to have poverty of spirit, to realize that you need him. And I liked how Marcia said that the the difference or the um, contrast between natural man and spiritual man sometimes isn't that great because we can go along trucking in our life and nothing, you know, it's all going right. So there's not a need. But boy, when it goes wrong, COVID, right? Then all of a sudden it's like a realization, I have a need, right? So we're called as Christians to constantly be knowing, I need you, Lord. Every morning I need you because we are natural, so that's what it is, and blessed are you. So I want you to think about this like a, like a rung in the ladder. It's the first step. Here's the first step, acknowledging that we are poor in spirit and that we need God. So I want you to think about, um, I want you to think about um, the United States prior to COVID and just our lives prior to COVID. So we had a pretty booming economy, right? Big, 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 big business and small business alike. Ability to travel, see whoever we wanted, go to sporting events at will, whatever we wanted to do, we could get out and do it. Hollywood, going to movies, watching stuff new on the television, sports, whatever. We were able to engage in all these different ways. Eating out without any kind of fear, you know? Um, funerals, things like that, seeing our loved ones. I think we would have called our country blessed. We were blessed. And those were all fillers of our time. And then when it ended, very abruptly, then what? Then I hope, as Christians, we would say, just as Johnny said, I have a lot of time on my hands. I need you, Lord. This is hard circumstances. As Christians, to say, I need to get into the word. Lord, forgive me for the fillers. Help me to get into your word. Help me to focus on you instead of all these other things. So in a way, I believe that COVID is a blessing. I can speak from experience. It's also very painful. And it's caused a lot of damage. So I think we would have called ourselves rich prior to COVID, and now I feel we're suffering. Can you agree? And I'm a firm believer, probably because I've had a lot of hard times in my life, that God can use our hard times very powerfully to draw them into him. And sometimes I wonder, does it have to be this hard? Am I not drawing in close enough to you, Lord? What can I do? Because it's painful. It's real. It's real pain. So poverty of circumstances, poor in spirit is not your circumstance. It's not about 
you know, do I have money right now or not? But I do believe that those circumstances, poverty of your circumstances, hard times, can definitely lead to the realization of poverty of spirit. Has anybody else experienced that? You have hard times, and it really makes you realize you need God. I want to read something to you, and I want you to answer back to me where I get my biblical basis on thinking that that is true. What has been intended for harm, God can use for good. What story is that from? Joseph. Joseph had faith, and that was meant for harm in his life, being thrown into the well, being, you know, totally abandoned, that God intended for good and accomplished what is now being done for the saving of many lives. That's what he says to his brothers. And it sort of feels in my life that COVID has tossed me into a well. You guys know that I own a resort in Canada. It's our livelihood. It has been shut down to almost nothing, right? Americans can't go. That's who usually was our customer. My husband can't go to work the business. It's completely shut down. So I feel that sense of aloneness, that sense of isolation. I'm in a well. I can't do anything about it. It just is, and that's hard. But what am I going to do in the well? Am I going to keep looking at the well, keep relying on myself? Like, if I just work enough, we're going to be okay. And I am working hard, don't get me wrong, but my strength comes from the Lord. I can look up out of the well at the sky and say, I need the light. I need the light in this well because this is hard. So I want to look at Revelation. It's in, um, in our book. It's on page 13, the questions that are going to go with that. But in the Bible, it's Revelation 3, 14 through 22. And I'm going to read it, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. But I I really want you to understand what you probably do is that Jesus here is talking to Christians. This is very eye-opening. It was for me to think about it. So we're Revelation 3, starting with verse 14. The angel of the church in Laodicea writes, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. So this is Jesus speaking. And he's speaking to the church, right? I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. But what you do not realize is you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I have overcame and sat it down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what sticks out to me when I read this is, he wants to spit out lukewarm. And personally, that's a little scary because I naturally sometimes tend to go into lukewarm faith, you know? So I want you to think about what does it mean to be a hot Christian? (laughs) We're not talking pretty. We're talking what does it mean to be a hot Christian? Who do you think of or, or what attributes do you think of someone who's on fire for the Lord? John, Billy Graham, completely sold out, doing the um, evangelism, talking to people, not afraid. Anybody else think of someone who's a hot Christian? 
I think what's key here is when he says, you're rich and you have everything and everything's going fine, the hot Christian would say, I still need you. I still have poverty of spirit. Every day I wake up and I know that I'm in need, despite the circumstances. And then he says, Johnny? Her example was Paul, how he had the conversion and then he so on fire, wrote all the books of the Bible, sold his life out to, to, to Christ. So then Jesus here says, um, neither hot nor cold. What would a cold Christian be? Right, a cold drink of water, how refreshing that can be. Maybe someone that's simple doesn't quite have the relationship but knows there's a need, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm saved and now I go on. So lukewarm is described as a person um, in the commentary that says, a Christ follower who has enough of Jesus to satisfy the craving of religion, but not enough for eternal life. A mass that's just enough to protect yourself against that relationship with Jesus. You believe, but the relationship, not as much. And what's unnerving about this is that Jesus says, you do not realize you do not even realize this is happening. I don't want to get to the end of my life and Jesus be like, I practically spit you out. You know, I don't, I don't want to think of myself as like, ugh. You know, I don't want, you know, Isaiah, the, they talked about um, their good deeds stink, stunk to the Lord, which she just talked about. So let's look at verse 17, spiritual blindness. It says, you say, I am rich, I have required wealth, and do not need a thing. But what you do not realize is that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's why I think about the circumstances of COVID and things like that to come into realization that just being lukewarm in your faith while you have all these other fillers in time isn't where you want to be. You want to realize what Jesus has and what you need. So let's look at number seven in the book, page 13. It says, how does the assessment of the Laodiceans contract, contradict their own image of themselves? Can anyone answer that? Complete opposites. What they think is happening, Jesus is like, in my kingdom, that's not, that's not where we're at. You're actually opposite of what you think you are. And may we never be caught in that. And it's hard now. I'm sitting here like complete transparent. It's hard. It's hard to not get carried away by all the other things and, and kind of put Jesus who is invisible off. That's not where we want to be. We really want to take a look at this and assess ourselves and then be thankful that he's like, once you realize it, you're blessed. Come to me. You've inherited the kingdom. I'm knocking at the door, he says. Just open it. So they believe themselves to be rich without need, which hinders the truth of their actual blindness, nakedness, wretchedness, and poorness. Okay, then number eight says, it is apparent that the Laodiceans were materially wealthy. What other kinds of wealth might they have assumed they had accumulated? Knowledge. Knowledge. Safety. Safety. Prestige. Power. That maybe they were just bought into salvation because they were so blessed in the worldly sense? God's favor, they might have thought, was among them because everything was going well. It 
It says the visible church for all its Christian profession was not truly Christian at all, self-satisfied and superficial. It was composed, according to Jesus, of blind and naked beggars. But the tragedy is that they would not admit it. They were rich, not poor in spirit. So they were self-satisfying. And this isn't meant to like pour on hordes of guilt, but it is meant to make you think that this is what it is to be in Jesus' kingdom, to realize your need all the time for him, that you cannot do it on your own, and to do it on your own is not blessed. And then Jesus says, I counsel you, and I love that. So let's go back to what he says what they should do. Verse 18, we're back to Revelation 3, verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. What do you think that means? Yep, a a sanctification for going through trials. He's first encouraging them to come to him. Come to me and buy. Don't go to the world and buy. That's just going to leave you empty. Come to me and buy. Right, he's the real thing. Nothing else can satisfy. You will continue to be empty. Because he says, I counsel you, buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And here's the interesting part, and and knowing this just makes me, I, I love how Jesus teaches here. The Laodiceans were famous for eye salve that they had. They were rich in textiles. They made fabrics of black that were people wanted to get, right? So they were rich in their community because they had like these medical things for eyes, and they had black clothes that were sought after. And now look what Jesus says, bringing it right home for them. Oh, and the other thing I forgot to mention is they were fortified cities, so they're surrounded, and they, their, their water supply was cut off, so their water was always a problem, always lukewarm physically in their city. So you see how Jesus uses that. You're lukewarm. They know what that tastes like. I don't want lukewarm water. I'm spit it out. So he uses what they know. And then he says here, so you can become rich and wear white clothes. I know your black clothes are making you wealthy, but I give you white clothes. And what do you think that kind of, what do you think of when you think of Jesus putting white clothes on you? Purity, like a forgiveness of sin, a turning. And then a salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Not a medical one that heals the physical condition, but inside. I'm going to let you be able to see what the spiritual need is. Very powerful. So then how do we, when we assess ourselves, am I poor in spirit? Ask yourself, am I poor in spirit? How do I think about myself in terms of God and in his presence? God in your presence right now. God is with us. Holy Spirit is here with us. How do we think of ourselves? And as I live, what are the things I'm saying? What are the things I'm praying about? When I read this against the commentary, Marsha, what was it called? Our our favorite guy? Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's very powerful in saying, if you look at the Beatitudes and you don't have these things within you, they're not maturing, it's not working through, it's not part of your spiritual journey, there is a problem. Mm -hmm. And to me, I thought, okay, I didn't totally understand the Beatitudes when I started this. I'm starting to understand them, Lord. Am I poor in spirit? Assess me. How do I feel about myself when I'm in presence of you? And how do I do it? How do I become poor in spirit? And I say, in the, from the commentary too, it helps is getting into the word. If you don't understand who Jesus is, if you don't understand the gravity of who God is, if you're not in the word, you're on your own. So of course you don't automatically think I need you every day. You need to understand God's character to clearly see your need for him. And then when you do, you're blessed. 
And the Beatitudes, as we go through here, the first four are about, about salvation, and the last four are about the character and the fruit that yields from that salvation. So it's a very organized thing Jesus is telling us, and it starts with, I need you, Lord. And he will open the door. You will open the door, and he will come in. He says that in Revelation that we just read. Pray for dependence on him. The world is starting to pick up again. I'm feeling it at home. Sports events are opening up. <laughs> School is back in session. The busyness of my mom life is picking up. And I'm saying, please, Lord, don't let me fall into the rut of the filler, the fillers. Help me to understand my dependence on you. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your organized word to us in the Beatitudes. Thank you for knowing that it's hard for us and that we need to start with you. Start with a clear understanding that we need you. Because what you're about to teach us is difficult. And you know who we are and you love us even though. So please, Lord, as we go through the week and we, and we study through the next couple weeks, Help us to bring it back to you, that you're there for us. We're not alone. This isn't something we do on our own accord. May the Holy Spirit move in us all so that we can be the light to the world that's struggling. Your light through us shining out, Lord. I pray for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you for our time together today. Please continue to protect us spiritually, and help us to know the right path. I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.